I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, what's up? This is Evan Ross Katz. This is Shut Up, Evan. Shut up! Yes, shut up! A podcast about gay shit and internet culture. I'm Evan Ross Katz. I'm a writer and editor in New York City. I've written for a number of publications that I'm extremely proud of, including Interview Magazine, Rolling Stone, Oprah, MTV, Paper, and more. I've written for a couple I'm not so proud of, but we won't name those. Uh, and you also might know me as that guy that is really loud on social media. I'm so excited to be joining forces once more with my producer slash friend, Alden Peters. Hello, Evan. Uh, my name's Alden Peters. I'm a filmmaker. I also made some series for places like HuffPost and Mike, where you and I initially met, where we worked on a bunch of drag race content. And about, I want to say a year ago, I think, did we get coffee? And you said, hey, I'm interested in podcasting. Is that something you would be interested in? And my initial thought was, absolutely not. I'm a film person. But then I thought, well, you would be excellent at podcasting. You would book good talent. And how hard could it be? Uh, it's been a year of us trying to figure this out and six months of like intense trial and error. But here we are finally, and I'm really excited to, to make this podcast with you. Thanks. On today's show, designer Christopher John Rogers, meteoric rise in the fashion design industry. Rogers, a Baton Rouge, Louisiana native, talks about his expanse of references, which began with an early love of Pokemon. I was gagged. I just connected with the fantasy. He also talks about dressing celebrities like Lil Nas X. I knew that I wanted him to, to feel a little faggy, kind of like a very femme moment there. And the critical role Instagram has played in his personal and professional life. People will respond to my stories or my posts or like ask me questions and I'll like respond to them like whether they like have 63 followers or like are Lizzo. Shut up, Evan. Please just shut up. Hey, Evan. Hi, Alden. How's it going? Good. Are you excited for this first episode? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a long time coming. It absolutely is. Um, I actually have a question for you. On topic of who our guest is today, your Instagram, I've noticed, gets a ton of engagement every time you post about Dolce & Gabbana. You keep calling out celebrities that are wearing their garments. And I know something happened a while ago. I want to say maybe it was homophobic, but I'm not entirely sure. But it seems to be an ongoing issue you keep talking about. And I'm curious to actually finally know 
what all of these Instagram stories mean. Yeah. It's really interesting. I'm surprised that something that I thought was like quite a niche conversation has really seemed to like capture a portion of the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with your very question, which is like this curiosity around like where people like me's vitriol comes from. Yeah. Um, So this is a beat that I have been on for like almost five years now. So even before the big controversy, which I can explain in a moment, but even before that, the uh, more micro controversies um, were something I was very much um, editing stories about, writing stories about for years. So just to kind of give a quick rundown of kind of some of the things that they've done, DNG's co-founders, Domenico Dolce and Stefano Gabbana, have sold, quote, slave sandals, um, openly opposed gay adoption, despite being gay men, and mocked folks boycotting their brand for dressing the Trumps. Dolce has called babies born via in vitro fertilization, quote unquote, synthetic, while Gabbana has claimed sexual harassment is, quote, not violence, and called Selena Gomez, quote, so ugly, Miley Cyrus, quote, ignorant and critics of the brands I'm thin and gorgeous sneakers quote fat and full of cholesterol so it's much more than homophobia <laughs> yeah no if there's a phobia to be um they comfortably fall within it um and it's really both of them so it's sometimes people are asking well are the knives really out for both of them and and, and they quite are um so that's a quick rundown but the Big controversy that I was referring to happened in November of 2018. Mm -hmm. The brand was preparing to do a fashion show in Shanghai and accusations of racism on social media surfaced when people started looking at some of the racial stereotypes that were evident in the late, in their latest ad campaign at the time. Mm-hmm. The now deleted ad featured an Asian model trying to eat various Italian foods like spaghetti and cannoli uh, with chopsticks. As a narrator asked, is it too huge for you? Yikes. As a result of sort of this rise in prominent Chinese celebrities speaking out, the show was then canceled, but more importantly, DNG was then scrubbed from Chinese online retailers, and that eventually sort of affected their bottom line. So basically, they were wiped out of the red carpet circuit following that in 2019. I mean, to the 2019 Oscars, not a single actor or actress wore Dolce & Gabbana. Just to give you a sense of sort of like the impact of that moment. And I think the November 2018 moment was really felt like a culmination um, in in sort of getting them off of the red carpet for all of the many indiscretions that of theirs over the years. Cut to just like two weeks ago at this point. And I start, I have a Google alert for Dolce Gabbana. And my <laughs> Google alert starts blowing up, you know? And I'm like, where is this coming from all of a sudden? And, and I first saw Gwen Stefani at the Grammy Awards wearing two uh, Atelier Versace looks. Then there was Little Big Town at the Grammys, also in Dolce & Gabbana, all four of them. Common. Then we saw Blake Lively at a movie premiere in Dolce & Gabbana. Then we saw Kate Middleton wearing Dolce & Gabbana, which completely set the internet on fire. There's a headline from Town & Country. Kate Middleton wears a chic Dolce & Gabbana skirt suit for her visit to a children's hospital. And I just want to underline, like, they completely were able to upend the algorithm by basically burying headlines from November 2018 with the latest news, which is town and country basically jerking them off with this headline. We're seeing this concerted effort um, to try and get them back on the red carpet. So I started to wonder, why are we doing this? And I think um, 
you know, I say to my friends, like, jokingly, it's like, when I put my boot on your neck, I'm, it's going to stay there. Yes, daddy. That's what I hope. <laughs> until they are, until the evil is defeated, mm-hmm. I got to stay fighting the evil. They suck. <laughs> they really do. But I mean, yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I have enjoyed this story. I've enjoyed the ways in which people have sort of come together to send me, literally like anytime someone, any celebrity wears DMG right now, my inbox gets flooded with fellow people that also think Dolce & Gabbana is bad, wanting to help me amplify this conversation. Yeah. So I sort of appreciate this like community-wide effort. And these are, a lot of times, they are young fashion students. Oh, interesting. That are coming to me with all this information. And it's like, I appreciate that sort of boots on the ground work that has to be done in order to cancel this brand. Well, the fact that the up and coming creators in the fashion industry are well aware of this is encouraging. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue into our guest. Yeah, oh it is, yeah. He's dressed, Gabrielle Union, Casey Musgraves, Lizzo, Ashley Graham, Tracy Ellis Ross, Yalitza Aparicio, Cardi B, Priyanka Chopra, Lil Nas X, Kim Petras, Greta Lee, Regina King, Kat Graham, SZA, Alexandra Ship, Jamila Jamil, Tessa Thompson, Rihanna, and Michelle Obama. He's 25 years old. He grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His mother is a medical technologist, and his father was once the director of technology at an agriculture center at the local university. I first became aware of his work via a piece he designed for Whoopi Goldberg editorial in Garage Magazine last year. This past November, Christopher joined a legacy that includes the likes of Alexander Wang, Proenza Schooler, and Telfar Clemens, winning the 2019 CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund Award. Heard of it? He is with us today. What an honor. He is Christopher John Rogers. Christopher, thank you so very much. I'm gagging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's such an honor to have you here, and it's such an honor to sort of begin this podcast with you as my first guest. I had recorded a previous version of a pilot episode, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, and I think you and I had discussed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't feel like it was, like, totally me. Right. And through our myriad interactions on the gram, Mm -hmm. you encouraged me uh, to, you gave me some confidence in what I had to say and made me realize that um, the podcast should be less Q&A and more me in conversation with others. T. And so I'm honored to be in conversation with you. Same. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) I'm humbled. I'm excited. Um, Before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, I did a lot of research going into this. I was watching an interview that you did on YouTube from three Bitch, years ago. Hate. Which one? It's with um, like a, a woman in front of a David Bowie painting, I okay. believe. Was she like in a, in a pink jacket? I think Maybe. so. Okay, I know it, what you're talking it, about. It's credited as your very first interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, like, three years later, mm-hmm. what do you think about being interviewed? Um, I'm very self-aware and I know how I want to present myself, Mm -hmm. which is authentic. So I'm like, okay, be yourself, right? But then I'm also thinking of that as performative, and then I get nervous. So now I like being able to, like, to talk about my work and myself and things that I like, but I have to remember to, like, not think so much about it. Where do you feel like you're more comfortable, (sighs) talking about your work or talking about 
things that you're passionate about. And I guess that's, this could be one and the same. Things that I'm passionate about, I guess, and that I have many different opinions on. I often think that two contradictory things can be true at the same time. Yeah. Um, and so I would just speak on that because yeah. I think it's interesting, maybe. I think part of what got me, yeah, part of what got me so excited about this podcast was this interview that Roxanne Gay mm-hmm. did on Bitch Sesh. Okay. And at the very end, she thanks the women. And, she, and Bitch Sesh is a Housewives podcast. Okay. And she says, thank you so much for having me. So often when people call me in, they want to talk about me being a fat black feminist. Right. A queer feminist. Yeah. Um, and while she loves to do that work and she expressed that, it was just, she said it was fun to just be able to kick back and talk about Housewives. Yeah. And I feel like so often with design, when they are approached from my perspective it's tell me about design and and your background and textiles and color which are wonderful things to talk about right but you i uniquely know have a lot to offer um outside of just fashion right so anyway super excited okay so to start with i wanted to ask you about a quote that you gave to women's wear daily you said in september i think new york is kind of missing the shows what yeah. did you mean by that? Um, I just meant that New York Fashion Week, vis- I mean, ha- is boring to me. That's not like a pointing finger judgment. It's kind of me being critical of a system that I am very passionate about and have been addicted to since I was in the fifth grade. So I used to like watch attentively the shows on style.com before it was Vogue Runway and the girls gave it to you. The models were walking, the clothes were, even if minimal, exciting and styled with such a strong point of view. Now, I feel like it's just a parade of things and product and there's not much emotion attached to the work. Um, So I'm just kind of like missing people really serving you something, personally. I feel that. To someone outside of fashion though, I because you know, there's these, the big four shows, right? Yeah. So we have New York, London, Milan, and Paris. Uh-huh. And I feel like for people within fashion, there's this perception that New York sits lowest on the totem pole. Right. It's kind of been a fight for, for lowest on the totem pole between London and New York. But I really? feel like, oh, do you disagree? Oh, tell me, Milan? Milan. Mm, interesting. Yeah, no shade to the girls. Although London has commercial aspects too. Every city, you know, is sell- the girls are selling the clothes. But I feel like at least London has this emerging scene that mm. collectively the city is very supportive of. And I feel like in other cities, especially in Milan, that's not the case. So you have like the Bottegas, you have the Gucci's, you have et cetera, et cetera. Masoni, the girls are giving you product. But we don't really see a lot of young talent and people with new, fresh voices there that's so true and i kind of feel like and obviously it's changing in new york but i kind of feel like those two cities have had a similar energy surrounding that subject yeah um and i feel like in paris and in london whether it's people showing outside of like the central fashion show capital areas there is a support of really radical young voices and young, not just meaning age, but new new voices. Yeah. yeah. And novel voices. We've seen a number of American designers and European designers jump to other cities to present their collections. Right. Have you ever had the thought to perhaps soon or one day show in another city? Um, people have told me that I should. I mean, I've also had people, whether it's over Instagram DM or email or like friends, been like, oh yeah, Paris is kind of boring. You should like show there. And I feel like you'd bring so much joy to the runway um i do believe that patrick kelly used to show in paris and i believe he was the first black designer to show there um in the 80s and 
his shows were packed and he brought such an energy to the city. It would be nice to kind of have the opportunity maybe, but it's not something that I'm like, I, I feel like I need to do. Um, I'm really happy showing here. If you ever do do that, mm-hmm. please don't let that be the end game because I feel- Oh no. Yeah, you're so fundamental to the New York fashion scene and what it can become yeah. and what it's in my sense becoming. Right. Um, that to lose you would- just be such a tremendous thing <laughs> i mean you know we need more support of people who maybe don't have huge budget budgets to get a space on the calendar or to rent a venue it's like i, I like there's this thing called fashion east in london which i'm sure i don't know if you know of yeah and so they take three designers from that are fresh out of college every year and they allow them to show their collections um, and all they have to do is pay for the clothes and for me, when I was starting out, my first show, thankfully a venue, the venue was sponsored and all of our models donated their time. But normally we'd have to pay for models, we'd have to pay for the space. If the space wasn't properly lit, you have to pay for lighting, you have to pay for sound, you have to pay for, like, where are the models getting ready? It's obviously not front of house, so there needs to be room for back of house. There needs to be enough electricity for hair and makeup to be able to plug everything in and have it not shut down, which happened our first show, um, which sometimes can like push the starting time back. You have to think about budgets for hair and makeup. Where are the shoes coming from? Like, do you have a team that can dress people backstage? Like, like steamer? Like, there's so many things that go beyond just, oh, this is cute. Let me, like, make this thing. Yeah. So all of that has to do with the ability for younger people to have access to show their work. Yeah. And it's interesting because when it's done right, it just feels as it should be. But when it's done wrong any element it feels like a disaster yeah. when you see a really clean presentation mm-hmm. in which the lighting is right the music is right the girls are all walking in the correct sequence etc it's hard as the casual viewer to appreciate just how how many hands and eyeballs and how much time and energy mm-hmm. went into making sure that the spacing between those girls yeah. was exact right so i i want to go back to baton rouge mm-hmm. uh for the moment i think one of the most interesting things about you is your expanse of references within your work when did you first discover anime pokemon comic books could you know right away that this was something that you really connected with i was watching like pbs or like something flipping through the channels and then i saw pokemon on tv and then i was gagged i was like okay this is sickening so then i went on the computer and i've always been a computer nerd my dad is also as as well so ever since i was like two i was typing like pretending to like type on the computer so i went to the computer looked at pokemon found out that there were games i was like okay bitch we're going to gamestop and we're getting i'm you know getting the fantasy so i'm starting to play the games i'm getting my life and then you know i start watching it then i go to books a million or barnes and noble um and then you know pick up the card capture series you pick up sailor moon i figure out that that is also playing on tv um, and so I sneak and watch it because I'm not supposed to watch the moon. And I just connected with just like the fantasy of it all. Yeah. The fact that this isn't a real thing, but like I can pretend that it is. And like, because I'm pretending it is a real thing. Yeah. I was always gagged by it. And just the ability for clothing or accessories, whether it's like a staff or like the sequence in Sailor Moon when, when the girls like started to get their power, like when they were transforming. Um, one of the things that really stood out to me was how their nails changed color and then they started i don't know just like the embrace of femininity the fact that there's power and femininity no matter how you identify yeah resonated with me yeah um and it was something that 
really triggered me. And I was like, bitch, okay, this is sickening. Yeah. I remember there were these uh these Mighty Morphin Power Ranger like dolls yeah. that the head could flip into the body. Yeah. So they would like <laughs> essentially morph. And I think there's something yeah. about watching these figures go from their day look to their like superhero look. look. Yeah. And also having the ability to like choose when that happens right. and push the button on it exactly. and, and witness this transition mm-hmm. um, that is just incredibly formative. Even if we don't know exactly. it at the time. Exactly. Feels really queer. Yeah. I mean, it is really queer. You yeah. know, the ability the ability to choose how and when you perform yeah. and why that transformation happens, mm-hmm. you know? And also finding beauty in the transformation, not just the, the final product. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So... If I'm correct in remembering, you had a friend named Catherine yes. growing up. Okay, yeah. so you have this friend, Catherine, and I recall this story that you told me, mm-hmm. and you guys were looking through comic books one day, yeah. and you sort of posed this question to each other, wondering, how come these comic book characters yeah. are always wearing the, the same, same thing? thing. Yeah. yeah. And then I was just thinking, I guess that doesn't always have to be the case. So then we just started like trying different outfits for the characters that we were creating in our own comic book. Like you would just take printer paper, draw a little grid, and like make your own fantasy and that's when i started realizing the potential for clothes to imbue power within the wearer and you know elicit some kind of response within the viewer so i don't know that was really the beginning of me thinking about designing clothes i remember for me growing up my my big interest when i was younger was buffy the vampire slayer okay and i remember how that was no one else was sort of vibing with that. And I remember it took me a while. Now I am so proud of the fact that I had this thing that no one else liked. Mm -hmm. But I remember at the time feeling like that I was very other because my interest was not football. My interest was not basketball. My interest was not like, you know, anything sports or anything that, um, you know, the guys around me were finding interest in. Right. I always, thankfully, my parents always placed me in environments where everyone was, you know, completely different. There were, I mean, I was like best friends with, you know, a Korean kid, a Jewish kid, a Muslim kid, all in first grade. And we all existed at this, in the same space and we all got along. And so my only experiences growing up really in school were with people who were okay with me. And obviously the only time that I really experienced a friction was like during gym class when I was like forced to do a sport and then, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't feeling it. But thankfully, like I would draw fashion sketches in class and then the teacher would be like, okay, like you're amazing. Like this is great. And then me and my four girlfriends in fifth grade were like making collections and just like drawing stuff and like having fun and everyone was super supportive. And I think that definitely had a big impact on me, just the constant support for me and the fact that people saw my passion and that I was taking what I was doing very seriously. And so there was really kind of no space for me to not be okay with what I was doing. Yeah. And with that, let's take a break. And we're back with Christopher John Rogers. Christopher, you wear makeup. Yeah. Um, A lot of men are wearing makeup, but there still seems to be this idea in a lot of media publications Mm -hmm. that 
men in makeup is somehow new right. and or somehow a revolutionary act. Right. So I'm just curious, when did you first discover makeup and mm -hmm. when did you first start saying, you know, I want to experiment with this? So I would just like go with my best friend, Julie, to Sephora. She'd be like, oh, I'm going to like just get some like foundation and touch up my, my face. And I was like, bitch, I'm going to do the same. So I would get like a little NARS something or a little Makeup Forever something, which had just come out, I think, that that brand. I like had like acne scars you know, little things, whatever, in middle school, obviously. And so I would just like touch it up and just like go to school. And then I remember sitting at the breakfast table one day after I had just done my makeup to go to school in like seventh or eighth grade. And my mom was like, okay, I think that like foundation just a bit warm. She's like, and I was like gagged that she could clock the fact that like I was wearing, um, I like had my mug on, you know? Cause I was like, oh bitch, I'm the only girl giving you like full fish, like subtle, like fantasy. And that wasn't the case. I want to ask about your design process because okay. one of the things when I spoke to Jose, mm -hmm. love. love, one of the things that Jose wanted to make sure that I asked you about was questions around your your process because he mentioned okay. how truly specific it was. Mm -hmm. Is there a dress of yours that you can think of that we can then go in and look at the final product of online mm -hmm. and that you could sort of walk us through how that came to life? Yes. So one of our most popular dresses um, is the strawberry dress. So it's this color blocked um, pink hot flamingo and strawberry red confection. And it's inspired by mid-century couture shapes, but it's also quite ab abstracted, the shape. So my process for that was really just kind of looking at a bunch of different things. So I was actually looking at pictures of fruit. Um, I was looking at these vintage Balenciaga shapes and just really kind of allowing myself to freeform with draping on the body. So when I first started designing and making clothes, I would take garbage bags and just put them on the form because I didn't like know that you should use muslin or whatever. And then kind of dart, but place darts in places that darts shouldn't be in. Um, but I didn't know that they shouldn't be there. So I was like, oh, this is cute, whatever. This is like, I'm making it what it is. Um, and allowing for serendipity in the work. So this dress really came to be through trial and error. The original sketch for it was much less dramatic. We added a bunch of tool around the waist to build it out. We added boning because we figured that it needed it in a part of the dress where boning traditionally isn't found. And it was really just kind of this organic back and forth process with a very specific intention. And then it transformed itself into what it is. And so I allowed for it to be that thing. That's kind of how everything really works. A lot of things, you know, are like, okay, this is what I want to make. And then we try our best to make it work. And then sometimes it ends up being that thing. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay too. So it's very specific in that it's a blend of specificity and allowing for serendipity simultaneously. Wonderful. Tell me about an instance of the little Nas X look from recently, mm -hmm. which correct me if I'm wrong, first time dabbling in menswear? Yes, correct. Quite successful. Thank you. Yeah, truly. Like, can you talk to me about how that came to be? Yes. So Lil Nas X, X's stylist, Hodo, is a friend of the brand. She first reached out to us about pulling my senior thesis first collection for one of her celebrity clients. It ended up not working, but this was like, what, two and a half, three years ago? Um, and we've kept a relationship over Instagram ever since. Um, she came to our first show. She has always been supportive. And then very recently, she moved to California and started working with Lil Nas X. And I was like, I really want to work with you guys. I really want to work with you guys. 
then kind of last minute, she said that he was going to the AMAs and that, that he needed a look and that she really wanted him to stand out. And in the past, the looks haven't been fully what he was trying to go for, which was kind of modern day Prince, kind of not really caring so much about traditional ideas of masculinity and presentation and really just wanting him to feel like himself, right? And so she thought that we were the perfect brand to help usher in this new era. He was also the first celebrity that we dressed after winning the prize. And I, I just sketched it in a day. We did a muslin and a toile and sent it, did fittings over FaceTime because we couldn't be in California. It was like a whole back and forth. And I just, I knew that I really wanted like the shoulders to be right. I knew that I wanted a crease in the front leg. I knew that I wanted it to look tailored and be tailored. And, you know, there was so many, so much work that went into that, those shapes. And yeah, that's just kind of how it happened. What about the opera glove? Oh, bitch. I knew that I wanted him to to feel a little faggy, a little fishy. Um, and so we were like, let's just do an opera glove moment. And in case he like removed the jacket at some point, the ja- the shirt underneath is short sleeve. So there would be kind of like a very femme moment there. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how that happened. So tell me, you obviously know what's happening, mm-hmm. but then you don't, you don't, know what it's going to look like on the carpet you don't know how he's going to serve it right you know because sometimes you see these stars who the outfit is wearing them Mm -hmm. and it's not because of their inability it's just because they might step on the carpet in a certain mood or they might not know the angle of the garment you know right everything has to sort of line up perfectly and thankfully it did and so i'm just curious in real time watching him hit the carpet seeing the look seeing the reaction to the look Mm -hmm. That's not a, a feeling that most of us get to have. And so I'm just curious, what are you feeling in that moment, looking at your work on him, and then also seeing how it brought him so much life? It's always, it's so exciting. It's so exciting, especially working with... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I want to say emerging talent, but talent who's finally getting the chance to express themselves in such a large arena in such a significant way and that they find comfort and themselveness in what we're doing. So that's always really fun to see them shining and to see them smiling and to see them really happy to be in what we're in our looks. And I got to ask, do you identify as gay or queer? Just so I know. Both. Okay. So what is it like for you as a queer man Mm -hmm. to be dressing a queer man? What is it like for you as a black queer man to be dressing a black queer man? significant and joy joyful i feel joyful i, f- I feel I, I am extremely excited and happy to do that 
because I'm trying to like broaden the visual definition of what being a black queer slash gay slash other presenting person can look like that there is room for not that there hasn't been examples of but there is room for polish that there's room for expression without there's room there's room for various ways of being um we've seen it with sylvester we've seen it with prince dare i say but it's nice to now that we have instagram and we have people being able to really consume visual information in such a such a quick way to be able to present those ideas again for people um i want to pause and turn to a question i asked friends of yours fans of yours which i think often go one in the same with a mm-hmm. figure like you um i feel that way i feel like it's funny knowing you and having this access to you mm-hmm. because i'm quite comfortable with you and yet i'm so it's just enamored by your talent. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Like, through and through. That's so, so sweet. So these people are friends and fans of yours that had okay. questions. I basically wanted to open up the room. Right. And uh, I feel like you have a, a bunch of wonderful people in your life. So first up, we have the wonderful Daphne. Okay. Hello, Evan. Hello, Christopher. This is Daphne. One of the things that I love about your public persona, Christopher, is whenever a journalist asks you to describe your work or like the impetus behind a collection or your inspirations, the answer you give (laughs) sounds more like a drag queen describing to like a drunk faggot in a nightclub, like what the look is for tonight. There's something about the kinds of references you're making and the way you stack the references on top of each other in your descriptions that I find really charming. And I was wondering if you could give us a little sneak peek um, as to what you're thinking about for next season, what some of the, you know, mental furniture um, informing the work. Uh, Okay, love you both. Bye. I mean, we love a well-spoken diva. Like, I mean, come the on. The mental furniture. The mental furniture. That alone. Like. Sparking. Yeah. Spark, sparks yeah. are flying. Um, thank you, Daphne. That was really sweet. So, wait, what's the question? Like, What are you thinking about right now for the show in February? Is there anything you can reveal about okay. what we can expect? Um, yeah. So, I think. So, now that. We, so, we just won the CFDA Book Fashion Fund. Heard of it. Heard of it. Uh, heard of it. Um, so, I'm really excited to finally have access to capital. Um, that will allow me to explore new inspirations of mine that I haven't yet been able to because of budget, right? So being able to cut clothes in a certain way because there's only so much time to deliver so much work, you know, while also doing other things, right? So now we're able to explore cutting things on the bias um, for fall, which is something I'm really excited to, to do. I'm thinking about the word languid. I'm thinking about sensuality, I'm thinking about a bit like excess, but in terms of surface, the surface, whatever that means. I'm thinking about dinosaurs, Archaeopteryx, Triceratops fantasy. I'm thinking about mid-century graphic design. Once again, I'm bringing back aspect dinners, so things floating in gelatin, um, however that manifests itself on the runway. And all, all around, I guess, a bit more serious of a, of a tone in general. Um, so we're working through that. So I kind of am trying to be slightly cryptic just because I want the girls to be gagged when, you know, during the show, but it's, it's an elevation and kind of really dancing around the idea of sophistication in a more traditional context. 
while also being still being very on brand for me. I like that you say that because one thing I remember from the last time we spoke is your sort of idea of things that are adjacent to glamour. Right. And this feels very in line with mm-hmm. what you said to me then. And mm-hmm. I, I sort of think that's one of the many things that you said to me that really stayed with me from last time. Thanks. Yeah. It's because it's not really like, oh, I'm inspired by this thing. It, it's again, like you said, all the things that maybe are related to that sentiment. Right. Yeah. And the energy that all of those things together manifest themselves into from my brain. And so it's hard to like give descriptions, which is why I like kind of mixing this and that because it's easy for the public to understand a tea party or a cotillion ball on Mars because then that's kind of more of the energy than just, you know, alien couture puss. It's not really that. It's like the idea of like what you may think a party might be on this in this place. Totally. Um, so I love vagueness. I love a little gray area. I love allowing people to think about things and then, you know, coming to their own conclusions about what something could be. Yeah. I love that. I think that's wildly sophisticated in that I think it can be difficult sometimes to allow people to draw their own conclusions because mm-hmm. that is placing an inherent trust right. in the viewer. the viewer. But I think what's interesting about you is there's a consciousness about that viewer that you've cultivated Thank you. that there's an expectation that you will get it. Mm, period. And- I feel that way about what I do on my social media right? platform is kind of, I'm at the point now where it's like, the girls either get it or, or they, they don't. don't. And if they don't get it, that's fine. But that's not, they're not that's my not, people. Exactly. And that's something I was also talking to someone about. I can't even remember who I was talking to, but we were talking about like the customer and I'm mm. doing air quotes right now. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that our customer or customers in general are as stupid as we think that they are. I think that they're, I think that my customer is quite intelligent. They can think for themselves. And so like they get it because they get it. And it's, if you have to try to get it, it's obviously probably not for you. Yeah, well said. Uh, this is Jasmine, and she has a question for you. Hi, Chris. So I recently got to hear you speak at Fashion for Breakfast with Marjan Carlos, which was so incredible. And I was really interested in the conversation that you were both able to have about sustainability and fashion, specifically regarding the way that CJR is attempting to create heirloom pieces. Um, I love the idea of the heirloom as something that is both designed and also crafted so beautifully that it can transcend even my own lifetime and perhaps be passed on to those I love as an attempt to sidestep the need for reproduction. And it made me think of the Donna Haraway text, Making Kin, Not Population, which is kind of this queer feminist commentary on how queer people in general are kind of deciding our own lineages and not relying upon ideas of like having children to carry on our legacy or build intergenerational family structures. And I'm interested if maybe you could comment on the link between your attempt and this other attempt at like sidestepping reproduction um, because I think it's a really radical position to take as a queer person, as a designer Thanks. She's the icon. Mm. Um, I am an artist, dare I say it, um, first and foremost. But now we said it. And I'm not really, like, I'm not trying to make $700 million. I'm not trying to become a Ralph Lauren. And I just want to make really beautiful things that hopefully transcend the test of time that people can pass down to their loved ones. And the work that we're doing 
is based on love and a need to create beauty that allows for people to see themselves as they see as they want to see themselves regardless of identity and i feel like that energy is inherently non-capitalistic in a way so we're not like it's not about making money it's about making beauty which is i feel like radical especially in an industry that's so rooted in commercialism and the need for every season to make new shit there are so many ideas that i must create new things but because they must be created not because i must make money so i'm thinking about really that and you know maybe you know there is a season where i don't do where we don't make clothes which probably won't happen but you know there's no there's no need to do anything that i don't want to do yeah do you ever find it funny how much this industry has adhered to the seasonal structure Mm -hmm. for the most part unquestioned yeah i see a lot of my friends um or a few of my friends only doing shows once a year, only doing, only making clothes whenever they feel the need to. Kirby um, at Pierre Moss, uh, my friend Chanel Campbell, whose brand is Bed on Water, mm-hmm. um, Mawa Lola in London, um, recently made some comments about how she doesn't feel the need to make clothes every season. Um, and I feel like it's moving towards, we're moving, hopefully moving towards making room for designers who are making pieces that are special and, and artful um, and that take time. And really, maybe not intentionally, but commenting on, you know, just the mass production of shit. Like, we don't need more, like, black t-shirts. Let's take a quick break. If you enjoyed what you just heard, I have some good news for you. There are extended interviews with our talent available on our Patreon at patreon.com backslash shutupevan. For those of you that aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a way for myself, my producer Alden, to make a little bit of coin off of this podcast. That support will allow us to continue to make more episodes. So if you liked what you heard and want to support what we're doing and the continued effort to keep doing it, please consider subscribing to our Patreon today. And we are back. I think one reason why you and I connect the way that we do is that openness towards opinions that are outside of our own Mm -hmm. and the idea that they actually should be granted a great amount of space. Yeah. I'm so interested in people that disagree with me. Yeah. Because my opinion's often quite malleable. Mm -hmm. Me too. Yeah. And it can be really super informed, especially when it comes to clothing. I'll look at something and I won't like it. Yeah. And then 10 people who I respect so greatly will love it that I will then go back and look at it and actually see it differently. It won't right. look the same to me as a result. And I also like, you know, I got, I took a lot of uh, hits from people back when I posted my thoughts around Frank Ocean's prep plus party. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of people in my DMs saying that my silencing of a gay black man made me racist. And I thought a lot about how to react to that situation. Silencing. Yes, because I was I basically posted an Instagram post where I was covering his face with my words. And people okay. took that to okay. be, yeah, that I was uh, inserting my voice and, and literally putting him in the background. Right. And I thought a lot about that because I thought of my intention while making it was so not that, mm. but multiple people were receiving it that way that yeah. I was I thought about, okay, so how can I how can I make this productive? So I started screen capping those uh, those responses with these people's permission, obviously, mm-hmm. and reposting them. Yeah, which was for me to say that though I I did not intend for this to be racist, and I do not see it as racist. I want to give space to those people who are following me that take issue with it yeah. to say that 
I see you and yeah. I acknowledge your feeling. Yeah. And it's not a, I don't agree nor disagree with it by reposting it. I want to make sure that my mm-hmm. space is one that allows for other, other voices and other voices of opinion. And I want people to know how genuinely I care about that feedback. Yeah. Which sort of segues us into the last topic that I'm really interested to talk with you about. Mm-hmm. Instagram. Right. First of all, you and I have a really significant and meaningful relationship for me on Instagram. Yeah. Um, we talk quite often mm-hmm. um, and we're constantly sort of responding to each other's stories. Yeah. And it makes it such that you and I have only met in, we've seen each other in person. This is the third time ever, I believe. Okay. So once at your show, once during our first interview and now. Yeah. And yet I feel this kinship with you mm-hmm. and I feel like we share a language. Yeah. Again, I could be being really presumptuous No, here, you're not. But what is that? And I don't necessarily just mean specific right. to you and I, uh-huh. but what is it about this platform that allows for seeming strangers to develop a relationship that's bigger than just... It's like, we're not just Instagram friends. Yeah. Like that's not what it is. And yet, so much of our back and forth exists on this platform. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, I, I think it's the ability for technology to connect people who share the same specificities, right? Like whether it's a live journal in 2003 or a Tumblr in 2009 or like an Instagram in 2020, it's just like, okay, I like this and this and this and this, and I have opinions on all of those things. And yet the, the girl like who I've never met has the same opinions on the thing. And I think that that's the beauty of the platform is that we're allowing for, again, like, to bring it back like to number one like for multiple things to exist at the same time like we love a housewife we love a drag race thing but we also love a fashion but we also love to talk about politics and our beliefs on all of those things that maybe like are the same but also slightly different and that's okay because like we're also agree agreeing that like we don't have to agree on everything yeah it's like the other day i saw this greta thunberg that she had basically taken trump's tweet against her and made it her twitter Mm -hmm. bio and I fashioned it into a post and I posted it and everything and it got this huge response and I got a lot of people being like, since when are you someone that talks about politics? And I was like, I don't have a thing that I talk about. Right. I talk about fashion when I want to talk about fashion. I talk about housewives when I want to talk about housewives. And if I want to talk about, if there's an iconic tweet from a 16-year-old activist, then we're going to talk, talk about, about it. it. I feel like so often people in their efforts to sort of have a brand identity, yeah. one thing that I feel so strongly about pushing back upon, for me at least, yeah. is this idea idea of i don't really like when i was trying to sort of figure out like what is this podcast is it queer is it fashion is it pop culture Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of like what i want to talk about today yeah it's erk like that's that's the podcast right it's all of the things that make up you that maybe have nothing to do with each other but yet it's like it's the energy one thing that i feel like you and i also share is just like this love for like the memes, the stories, the tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like Instagram is a really great space to call out, call in, show a reference, take a reference, re-reference it, mm-hmm. switch up the reference. Not afraid to reference not or a- not reference. Yes. <laughs> like, I think one thing I get such a big response from, and I'm going to keep doing it just because it makes me so happy, is I'll post something and then I'll post a second slide of it with the Meryl Streep screaming and Big Little Lies clip. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's going to become yes. um, something that a I signature. do. Yeah. And I do that because I think we all sort of know that feeling at this point, which is to see something and have it be so ridiculous. <laughs> all you want to do 
is be Meryl Streep screaming in season two of Big Little Lies. Yes. And so so for for you, what sort of attracts you to someone's Instagram account? Mm-hmm. And, and how often are you in conversation with strangers? I'm obviously attracted to color. So people that, po- that use a lot of color in their posts, I usually will be more attracted to. And just like people who just like do their own thing. You know, like I don't need to follow someone just because everyone else is following them. And or I don't need to follow someone just because like no one is following them. You know what I mean? And I talk to strangers all the time. Like people will respond to my stories or my posts or like ask me questions and I'll like respond to them. Like whether they like have 63 followers or like are Lizzo who like I DM'd actually recently about pretzels. Um, Cause she was like eating a pretzel with cheese. And I was like, bitch, like I don't know why you don't have glaze with your pretzel. And like, we were just like talking about like that, you know, not even like, Oh, like let me dress you again. Or like, you know, you look so great. It gets like, bitch, like where's the fucking glaze? Why are you not at Auntie Aunt's drink eating a fucking, you know, pepperoni pretzel with glaze? I love that. I feel like that's sort of what I live for, too. I yeah. feel like the idea of talking to people who are only ever sort of asked about one subject yeah. and just saying, like, I want to know the most bullshit thing about you, mm-hmm. which is that, like, why aren't you eating this pretzel correctly? Which also allows for, like, more space for the person to be themselves and not a caricature, right? And that's, also, that's like, the ultimate the crux of, like, for me, like, that's my thing, right? Like... Like, I want an individual. I want everyone to be, like, their own person. Yeah, and it's interesting because I feel like people are so compelled in the time that we're living in to not be that. To flatten themselves, bitch. Like, I want a round, I want round fantasy. Yeah. Full. Yeah. Maybe it's, like, there's a gray area, you know, the black and the white existing together, and, like, yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about your... Whenever I'm telling people about you, which is quite often, I always implore people to follow you on Instagram and pay attention to your stories. Thank you. Uh, they are they are literally a mood. They are a mood <laughs> board. Um, they're so evocative, so much colorful trash. Yeah. Um, yeah literally. Literally. Yeah. Um, I've always wanted to know sort of like how you fashion those stories mm-hmm. and what you want people to take away from them. I just like really beautiful things. And I happen to think that like, a tied hot pink carryout bag on the side of the street is stunning. Like, because it's just as stunning as like my ruffled pink gown to me, it's like the same thing, except you can wear one. So I just like fashion the stories based on like how I'm feeling. And it's usually just like, I love an art reference. Um, I love a weird furniture reference. I love like my friends, you know, being funny and like combing out wigs yeah, it's like everything and nothing and kind of just like whatever I want it to be. I don't know. Two last questions. Unoriginal, but I'm just so curious. Mm-hmm. You know, you messaged me the other day after I posted the Galvan look that Saoirse Ronan was wearing. Yes. And, and you mentioned she's one of the girls on your list. Yeah. Uh, I hope that's okay to reveal. Yeah, oh my God, please. <laughs> yeah, I love her. Um, I've mentioned to you how much I want a Christopher John Rogers, Sarah Michelle Gellar moment in yes. 2020. Yes. She's going to have carpets coming up. So just putting that energy out there Love. manifests. Yes. Uh, but I'm curious, who are some other celebrities <laughs> that you want to address being that it doesn't get bigger than Michelle Obama in mm-hmm. my mind. Right. And so you kind of have, and, and Rihanna. Right. And Lizzo. I mean, the list goes on. You've dressed so many of the greats. I'm curious how you keep that list refreshing when mm-hmm. you're checking off so many of what I imagine are your dreams. Yeah. We want a Timothy moment. We want, I want Mariah Carey. And like, we get a lot of requests, but we just don't have the manpower to always deliver on all of them. So it's like, you may see some of the girls coming up soon, but it's really just kind of like, if the person's iconic, we're going to do it. Yeah. So let's end uh, by chatting about your friend, Rihanna. Mm-hmm. I call your friend. Dead. 
a, re- a recent recipient of the British Fashion Awards Urban Lux Prize. Mm-hmm. There's been some dismay voiced by some online about the term urban in reference to this win, mm-hmm. in reference to the category. According to Vogue, the euphemistic sounding trophy was created by the British Fashion Council to honor contemporary labels that elevate the concept of casual. Last year, the prize went to Virgil Abloh of Off-White and Louis Vuitton. I want to read you a quote from Mario Abad at Paper. He said, To pigeonhole Fenty as urban luxe feels lazy and seems nothing more than an attempt to reinforce tired streetwear notions and cliche urban tropes. I'm curious for your response to the category name and the ensuing conversation. I feel like, I mean, just as sustainability is a buzzword, diversity and inclusion are you know lumped together as the same thing and are also buzzwords. And I feel like people have some kind of guilt surrounding the lack of diverse faces in fashion and felt the need to create an award that allowed for those people to be celebrated. Like that, like the idea that like you need to like qualify urban with the word lux as if urban isn't lux or couldn't be lux is interesting. Um, I don't know what urban means and has to do with like the idea of urban being defined by the word casual is interesting. And I think that all brands make casual clothes. So it just doesn't, I don't really get what the point of the category is. Yeah. Category is undefined. Yeah. And my thing is like Fenty makes women's wear. So why couldn't it be under the women's wear brand of the year? Yeah. People seem to want to have Rihanna at their show to want to give Rihanna accolades, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, while forgetting the fact that like it's her first time out. So it's in no way to not give her an award is not to say what she's doing is in any way bad. Yeah. It's just to say that like everything takes a minute, you know, when just when so many of these designers do their first collections out with a brand, I'm thinking of like Hedy with Celine for his first mm-hmm. collection, for instance, even McQueen's first collection with Givenchy, which was received very, poorly. very poorly. And so things just take a moment sometimes. But I think in the immediacy of the culture that we're living in, there's this idea that we have Rihanna full footed in the fashion industry. So yeah. we need to give her, get her on our stage. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I understand that like impulse. we need to be the first girls to like give her like the pat on the back. Yeah. You know, what do you make of this idea of, I believe, so she's the first black female designer signed with LVMH. Mm-hmm. I believe she's the second black designer ever with LVMH. I want to say second or third. Not to mm-hmm. say you just know that. So I, I yeah. want to say second. Because Virgil was Virgil the first. Oh, no, she's the third. She's the third. Virgil's the second. There's a man from the 1980s. I don't know his name, and I will find that out. Okay. Uh, but so, okay. So saying that Rihanna is the third black designer signed under LVMH. What do you make of these moments in which we're like celebrating this thing that yeah. reminds us of how inherently awful the world is? And that's just one example <laughs> yeah. of like these things when it's like, you know, this brand will be like, so-and-so finally cast a trans model on the runway or something. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, you want to be like, obviously this is good. Yeah. My perception is like this idea of celebrating things that are so behind sort of moves things in the wrong direction inherently. Yeah. Because it's the idea that I think the effort should be to normalize, not to celebrate. Right. It's kind of like how I think we've gotten right. so off with body positivity, mm-hmm. which is the idea by like, it's just, to me, the goal is body neutrality. The yeah. idea that anyone has the body that they want rather than is, because the idea of celebrating people for being big, I understand that the inherent idea there yeah. because it feels like we need to course correct how many years we've made people that are bigger feel like they are less than. Yeah. I get it. At the same time though, it sort of doesn't allow for this idea of just you are who, who you are, are and that is great. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what your reaction is to sort of seeing that's one instance, but mm-hmm. just these situations in which 
the backwardsness of how fashion has existed for so long. Yeah. The moment it decides to sort of like have a little bit of a moral consciousness about mm-hmm. it. I mean, having a moral consciousness is fashionable. Mm. Right. So yeah. it's like, let's, oh my God, like we're sustainable. Oh my God, we're inclusive. Oh my God, like, oh my God, like we just hired a black designer. Bitch, who cares? Like the, I, I believe the creative director of men's Marnie is black. Lauren Steele, who also had a stint at Prada before he had his own line in the mid-2000s, which was iconic. I mean, like, there's so many black faces and, you know, in fashion, in design roles that, like, aren't celebrated. And so when the only ones that are give the celebrator some kind of validity as fashionable because it is fashionable to celebrate these people, it's just kind of like, it's just like, it doesn't, I'm like, it's very, like, it's transparent. Like, I see what you're doing. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's just boring. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I guess I, I mean, it's all, I also have the privilege to not care because I feel like I'm trying to do something different. Like, my blackness isn't my, or my POC-ness isn't the aesthetic, which, I mean, it's a whole different conversation. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's convenient and it's boring. Mic drop. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. It's, it's such an honor, but I just, it's this weird thing, like wrapping my mind around the fact of having a person like you be so accessible. The idea, I, I swear to you, I don't use the word lightly. You are a genius and not just a genius designer. You're a genius. You're a genius. And the idea that young people, consumers of yours, prospective consumers of yours, can go on something like Instagram, can send you a message, and that you very well may respond to that. Mm -hmm. How much you are in conversation with the world, I think is so exciting because I feel like you both, again with the reference, not reference Mm -hmm. thing, but it's like you both know your references, but you're very attuned to the new references that are happening in a way Mm -hmm. that makes you such an exciting figure within fashion and you know this has been written about you in several of the profiles about how you know calling you the future of american fashion and while i agree i think what i was trying to think of like how i define you Mm -hmm. and i think what you are for me is you are the current and you are the future which ties in with this kind of duality that we're talking about how things can be things can be both to call you the future i feel like it, it doesn't satisfy me because it neglects the fact that I think that you are very of the right now as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's this idea that to be the future is somehow like better but, than, yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's like you straddle both for me and it's an honor to know you, to have you take the time. And, and I thank you for seeing something in me that gave me the confidence to to do this today. Oh, oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> thank you for having me and thank you for, Allowing me to, um, I guess, feel like I can be all of me. I'm Evan Ross Katz. Shut Up Evan is produced and edited by Alden Peters. This podcast is made possible in part by our supporters on Patreon. So we tip our hat to you all. Go to patreon.com backslash shutupevan to get access to bonus content, including extended interviews and bonus clips. And again, from the bottom of my heart, Thank you so much for giving a shit about anything that I have to say. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.